Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam... Hey, how we doing, Zach? I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm in the midst of another... Oh no! X-Men update! X-Men update! It's an X-Men update. Uh... Actually, I don't have anything fancy to say. I should have thought about this lead-in a lot sooner, but we're essentially just going to continue our trend of talking about all things Age of X-Man uh, with our special guest today. Woohoo! Hi! <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm... we got... I'm sorry, Vita. Uh, we got Vita Ayala. Hi, Hello! <laughs> I'm doing great. We I'm very bad at this. I think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three out of three Age of X-Men creators have just kind of jumped in because we didn't tell them not to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're oh, fine. Man. You're fine. Uh, I will Vita's say here. I did it on purpose a little bit because I do remember that from the past two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like how the entirety of the Age of X-Men uh, creative teams are conspiring against us, Adam. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's rough. <laughs> uh, but that's good. No, Vita, you are, well, one, welcome to the show. Two, oh, thank you. you're writing Prisoner X uh, with art by Herman Peralta, and issue one has come out. It's real good, guys. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I am blessed to be on this book with both uh, Herman and, and Mike Spicer, who is incredible on colors. He's <laughs> I'll tell you, I really liked uh, I really liked Peralta's art uh, when he was on the uh, cable run with mm-hmm. uh, with Zach and Lonnie. But Spicer's colors on this really took him up to another level in this book. He is. He's becoming someone that I've that's turning into like a must buy. And I think he, he's he got this like kind of low key, this like uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walter kind of vibe, but a little bit more realistic. And I think it super works for this book. I agree. He's able to hit the like grittiness when it needs to be hit, but then do some really nice softer stuff. And then his expressions like are unbelievable. The way that he portrays emotion just through like face and acting is is next level. He is great, but he's not here, uh, which is his <laughs> loss, uh, our loss too. We did not ask him, uh, but Vita, uh, can you introduce yourself to X-Men fans since this is the, this is the first real X-Men book you've done? Yeah. Uh, I, hi, uh, uh, my name is Vita Ayala. As said before, I am a comic book writer. I am full-time freelance now, which is super cool. Um, and I've written, uh, a lot of work for higher stuff um, kind of peppered throughout. So I've done some stuff for DC. Uh, I co-wrote an issue of Supergirl with Sue Verlando. I wrote some Wonder Woman stories and a Batgirl issue and a Batman Beyond issue. Um, I am doing Livewire for Valiant, uh, which is Livewire's first solo title, which is super cool. Uh, and uh, and I'm doing Prisoner X for Marvel, as well as a couple of issues of Shuri. Oh, oh nice. Very cool. Yeah. Now- now, have you always been a fan of X-Men or is this something that you've had to just kind of lean into as the jobs have presented themselves? That's actually a really funny question. Um, I have always been generally a fan of just superhero stuff, but actually sure. 
X-Men and Bishop specifically, uh, the first two comics that I bought were, one was an X-Men comic with Bishop on the cover. And I was, was like, I don't know, six or seven. And it was, uh, however old I was when his first appearance was, mm-hmm. I walked over to this like spinner rack at a bodega and I was like, there's a black guy. I'm going to buy that. And then there was like a Wonder Woman comic next to it. And uh, as everyone has heard, who has heard me talk before, um, I used to think Wonder Woman was Puerto Rican because she looked like one of my cousins. And so I was like, oh, a Puerto Rican, like a Puerto Rican lady and a black guy. I think I'll like comics. And I brought them over to my mom and she paid for them. So Bishop was like one of my introductions to comics in general. Um, so I've been a big fan for a long time. <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, representation matters. And it sure does. Even mistaken representation. <laughs> I also love the idea of, um, you know, my daughter is nine and I'm just loving the idea that like your introduction to comics was this ultra violent <laughs> like, <laughs> shotgun wielding future Terminator guy. Oh um, man. My mom was like a big, she's a big nerd. Uh, and so, like, I had already, by that age, the first movie that I saw in theaters that wasn't a Disney movie was Batman in 1989 when I was nice. four. Like, mm-hmm. she was like, we're going to do this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to scar me for life. And so she was, at, she just saw it and she was like, yep, sure, buy this book. That seems good. That seems like a good idea. It seems like it's worked out for you pretty well so far, though. <laughs> she seems to dig it. She gets a free copy of all my books and that makes her happy. So, um, but she was super pumped uh, about the X-Men book because, as as I said, I've, I've been a fan since then. And I, I haven't always read every single title that's coming out, but sure. you know, I watched all of the movies and I watched the TV show, like the, the cartoons. Um, and if Bishop's on it, I'll probably buy it. So, like, she knows this is a big deal for me. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, now, for our fans, you know, not our fans, excuse me, no one's really a fan of us. Um, hey, for- there's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> there is okay um for x-men fans um who may not be familiar you came up through a tc a dc talent development program right vita is that correct i did um at the same time that i was pitching some creator own work with black mask which i i do have a creator own book through um i was doing the dc writers workshop um which was it was kind of like half crash course in superhero comics um and then half just like almost like a, like just a writing group where you go and critique each other's work and get better Mm -hmm. in general. Um, But that was an incredible program. And through that, um, I had my first published work, which was a Wonder Woman short. And then soon after a two issue Amanda Waller story. Um, So that's so cool. I've got to, I got to wonder if the people at Black Mask ever get just a little bit mad that they essentially turned into a feeder program for this generation of X-Men writers (laughs) uh, between uh, you and Rosenberg and Zach and Lonnie. You know, I don't think so because it's it's really nice. I love doing creator owned books too, and I didn't mention them before, but I do have uh, two and working on a few more. But um, I go and I do creator owned work with like Black Mask and Vault, and then the books that they would never do, like a superhero book, I get to do with you know Marvel, which is really cool. Oh, that is uh, that's awesome. That said, though. M- Marvel and specifically the Age of X-Men are doing some interesting things that they would not have done in the past, uh, including your story, which is a it's a prison drama, uh, at least in the first issue. (laughs) That's a that's a pretty tried and true staple of, you know, movies, TV, especially, uh, you know, with big stuff like Oz and Orange is the New Black kind of being cultural phenomenons when they came out. Uh, So looking at that. You know, what are some of your favorite prison stories and what had 
which ones had a big impact on the story you're trying to tell with Prisoner X? I I love prison dramas, which is a problem because I shouldn't. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I love Oz. I, the first two seasons of Orange is, uh, is the New Black was my jam. I, I oh, also yeah. really like uh, reading about true crime stuff and mm-hmm. um, and also just kind of memoirs and that kind of stuff from people that have been in the system. Um, I find that much more informative, I think. So like when, when going into this, I I actually kind of wanted to pull a bait and switch, (laughs) which is you come for like the, the, you know, I don't know if you used to watch exploitation stuff like from the seventies, but the like women in cages and like Mm -hmm. heat and like all that kind of stuff. And then you go, Oh wait, it's not that, but it's still cool. (laughs) (laughs) Because I mean, people expect it to be, you know, kind of that like oh they're going to be gangs and it's going to be this and that right um but there was a different story that we wanted to tell and so i thought well you know i'll give them a little of the first thing but then what i really want to do is kind of layer in a little bit of a mystery and also talk about some issues that people face behind bars <laughs> now that that kind of leads into another question i had because in a previous interview uh i believe with uh, marvel.com you discussed wanting to explore how the oppression of the physical space of prison interacts with the prisoners. And in this uh, story, it's uh, probably no coincidence that your prison is called the danger room. So how how have you gone about exploring those kind of themes in Prisoner X? We, we start off kind of slow, right? So it's mm-hmm. the first issue especially, um, although we hint at something in the first issue, but I won't, I won't spoil it. Um, but we start off with like, this is what you've come to expect and it's already bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like prison is bad no matter how you slice it um but as we go along in the series what we kind of show is that each person is struggling with the prison in their own way and i can't really like i will spoil things if i get too much into detail but it was really important that we kind of show the prison from other people's perspective and how they're kind of like dealing with being in this space um i i think it's pretty cool issue three is absolutely like off the walls bonkers <laughs> in terms of that so I, i'm really excited for things to get there but yeah i think that's all i can say without spoiling it <laughs> well i think that's fair um i really love um the cast that you have here and and we may get into a little bit about how you develop that but i i think what i'm more interested in uh at this point is that you know, we talked about some of the prison tropes um, that that have been in this genre before. They often have these character types. Um, I think it's really interesting that you've filled the quote unquote big guy you don't mess with uh, character as a really uncharacteristic beast. Um, <laughs> you know, it's an inspired choice. He's normally much more mild mannered. And here he is this like intense, huge, scraggly guy. Um, and I'm I'm just curious how you made that decision for Beast to be that guy um, as part of the story. I I went back and forth about it, and I honestly, oh, if you heard it, I thought it was my cat. Uh, I honestly, <laughs> I wanted it to be Gabby at first. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, like, I wouldn't have been upset so about that. <laughs> and it made me laugh really hard. Um, but ultimately, like, I'm a really big Beast fan as well. I love Beast. Um, when I was a kid he was my favorite part of the show besides storm just Mm -hmm. based all day um and i wanted to do something where 
physically that is what you would expect from a character like beast but knowing him it's really jarring and so i wanted to play with that in the first issue and then going forward you get to kind of see that like they're all playing these roles right right you know tropes are these kind of cookie cutter things and then the characters go there and then what you're supposed to do is play with them so what happens when they're there's a character that's intelligent enough to be aware of that like I'm not saying that he knows what's going on because the whole point is that it's a mystery, but like, right. He's no matter what you do to beast, he's always going to be a very intelligent person. So what happens when you're put in a situation where the only way to survive is maybe to give them what they expect. And that's kind of what I wanted to do and play with him there. Cause all of them are very powerful and all of them right. are dangerous in their own right. So that role could have been filled by Gabby filled by, you know, Polaris. It could have been filled by even Danny, like, mm -hmm. But I, I really wanted to do that thing with Beast because to me, he's the ultra smart guy. <laughs> now that, that brings up a pretty interesting topic in uh, the cast that you have for this book. Cause you, you know, you have Polaris, you have Danny, Moonstar, you've got uh, Beast, Bishop and uh, Gabby, Honey Badger. Um, I love her so much. <laughs> we do too. She's, she's, she's great a delight and we need to protect her at all costs absolutely her being in prison scares me a lot but i keep telling myself it's fine no one's going to hurt gabby they had a scene in an x book this or this last year that said i'm not going to be the one to kill honey badger and i've got to assume that was a little bit of the authors uh coming through onto the script <laughs> i'm gonna tell you right now I I don't know if I could ever do anything to permanently damage Gabby because I love her so much. <laughs> I mean, maybe emotionally, but not oh well, that's different. That's different. Everyone's got those. <laughs> um, yeah, the cast is a lot of fun. It's a lot of characters that I find really interesting or that I've connected with. Um, kind of just in my time being a fan of X Men and just that X universe. Um, now we're were these characters that you were you were kind of assigned or were some of these your selections for the book? Um, honestly, I was assigned most of them um, and there was a little bit of leeway. Um, you see in the first issue, I can talk about the first issue, right? Yeah, Let's you talk about oh, spoilers yeah. for the first issue, guys. It's yeah, good. Sorry. Go read it. Pause the podcast. Go to Comixology. Hit that buy button. Flip through the pages. Come back. We're here. <laughs> um so shards in there and like oh yeah we're gonna talk about that <laughs> i that was definitely a me thing um and danny was a at first a yes then a no and then they were like well if you yeah put her in there if you want her i was like i do <laughs> yeah, we want to no we want to talk about that too but are you <laughs> are you tired of people just like assuming that everyone doesn't know that danny's in two books I like when people tell me what I'm doing. <laughs> like, are you aware? And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't sure that I would be allowed to. And then we worked it out internally. And that was really nice because I think for me, Danny, Danny was me when I was like a teenager, just real angry and mm -hmm. <laughs> going through some stuff. But like, she's come to a place where she knows who she is. And I, I really like that. Um, and so to bring her back to kind of this uh, this state of not quite having a center was really interesting for me. And I wanted to explore that. Awesome. Um, and for her and for, for uh, Lorna, actually, too, I kind of wanted to show, like, the way that women are treated just in general, but also kind of when people have decided that they 
they are unstable or, you know, they don't know what's best for themselves. And so that's kind of what both of them are kind of doing in this book in different ways. Um, well, Zach and Lonnie kind of described to us that there was this master spreadsheet of sorts, you know, where they had 60 odd X characters and they're kind of talking about what could be an offshoot, you know, like this could be a separate book. This could be a separate book. Um, so in being handed this, you know, are you being handed both the cast and the pitch? Um, or is this something that, you know, you, you were allowed a little bit more freedom in terms of, uh, you know, where it was going to go? The pitch for this was maybe a paragraph. Okay. So the basic scenario was given to me, but they mm -hmm. were like, you can make it whatever you want. <laughs> um, so it really was like, here's a cast of characters and some of them have kind of shifted and changed since the initial thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Bishop's in prison because this happens in alpha go. It was like, awesome. And then there were some aesthetic things that like, they were like, you know, these things have to kind of be hit and it wasn't the gritty darkness aspect at all. Yeah. It was just like in keeping with the aesthetic of the outside utopia, what would a prison look like if it was part of that place? Basically even a hidden prison. Mm. I but think, yeah. yeah, one of the interesting parts of the pitch here, to me at least, um, is that a lot of the different Age of X-Men books are playing around with different things that, you know, are the rules of this universe, but that are also reflecting real world, you know, societal issues. Um, given that Bishop is basically in prison because he's in an interracial relationship. Well, all right, let, let me back up. He's in a, a sexual relationship with Jean Grey um, that happens to be interracial. Um, and our POV character here is an African-American going into prison. Is it part of the pitch, you know, to at least, you know, hold a mirror up to this idea of mass incarceration, um, you know, and what's going on with the prison system in the United States? It didn't, like... The the way that it shook down, I think, with it being a black man and a white woman was incidental at the time. But I okay. really was like, I'm just going to take that. <laughs> Run with it. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, man, yeah. you just lobbed it real soft at me. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. Um, and I talked to them about that. I was like, hey, like this is a like a thing. And they were like. Yeah, use it. Go for it. You know, like push it as far as you can. And I was like, OK. Cool. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> like, um, that is a major issue that we have in this country. Um, immediately brings to mind five or six different, very high profile kind of things that have happened, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in our country. Well, mm -hmm. more than that, but like you, like names spring to mind immediately. And I was like, this is something that like people are going to notice and it is not something that we are trying to ignore. Right. Because yeah we are given the chance to be like, do you think this is right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the answer should be no. Like, right. if you hear that premise and, and you're immediately like, oh, sure, that's not the reaction. The reaction we want is, oh, now hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's not a shock value thing. I don't, I'm personally, and this is just me, I'm not into that. Like, oh my God, like click, click here to find out. And then it's like, oh, like more reasonable. I'm like, no that is the feeling that we get when it happens in real life. And mm -hmm. we want to make sure that you are empathetic towards that. We, we are with you in this feeling. Right. And sometimes it takes having a character like Bishop who is kind of in general, I would say 
I guess people can find me on the internet, uh, but pretty beloved. You know what I mean? Like he's an X-Man and that means something globally that, you know, it, it gets attention. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to be like, hey, you care about Bishop? Let's widen that. Let's 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 care about everybody. <laughs> well, it is interesting because there is a, a subset of X-Fans that like cannot forgive Bishop because of what happened with Hope um and, and the whole messiah he did murder a planet yeah that, right. yep. kill a child yeah. like look, um, i like bish cards <laughs> on the table bad move on his part <laughs> <laughs> that being said though i do think that there is you know you were talking about shock factor um we don't really ever get to see our heroes in this kind of setting and i think that one splash page that the you and uh herman have of bishop just being in the cell for the first time there there's a shock factor to that you know to seeing this character who we are not used to being in that context being in that context suddenly i it's really for me too something that was really like affecting right Mm -hmm. um the last thing i want to do is put a black man behind bars (laughs) especially one that i you know important to me right but i want i want people reading it to be with him um, and it was really important. And Herman knocked this out of the park. He's he's truly like inspired like this guy. I was like, I want I want you to show me a man who doesn't deserve to be here and who is scared, but is also trying to figure out his next move. Like that's what I wanted for that page, right? And I think you look at that page and you go, this man is in here because he loved somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you put him behind bars be- literally because he loved somebody. That's that's unjust Mm -hmm. and so like we we want that feeling not the anger necessarily but the like the feeling of empathy and being like no this is not right it's it's the feeling that i have really been in it's the reason why i've been enjoying age of x-man as much as i have because it feels like the you know the team's doing this are looking at what the X-Men can be as a reflection of modern society and updating that saying, hey, these are real issues that real people are dealing with and these are real ways people are being oppressed today. How can we have, you know, our our team of, you know, hated and feared characters reflect how people are hated and feared in today's society? And I think that it's a very refreshing change of that and allows people to tell stories that otherwise we wouldn't have gotten an X-Men. I agree. I also found it, and I, I asked Zach and Lonnie how things worked, right? Because before, like, the basic shape of the society really came into focus, I was like, is mm-hmm. there, like, courts? Like, what what is going on? They're like, no, it's like a secret prison. And I was like, oh, so I literally know people who have been waiting for their day in court who are basically being held without being really charged for years. Like, I know people that that happened to. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what's happened to Bishop. He is never getting his day in court, right? Like, he's just, this is just his life now. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy smokes, I can actually, like, these are real people that I actually know that I can put into this book. I mean, it's Bishop, I don't know him personally, but, like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And that, to me, was really important um, because, like, the, like you said, this is something that that happens. You don't get thrown in jail for being a mutant. That's not real. but like. You know, you get thrown in jail for things that, like, maybe you even didn't do. Mm-hmm. Sorry to get heavy, guys. No, <laughs> but that's you had me on about the prison book, right? No, but that, yeah, that... No, we weren't expecting it to always be sunshine and roses and jokes about the sex cops. 
yeah. sex cops. <laughs> um, but that, but that goes to what Zach is talking about and why I, I really like that the, you know, the Jordan and, you know, the team that, that he's assembled here have like, you guys are putting this stuff out there. And like Zach said, I just don't think that these kind of stories work necessarily in just your mainstream, like superhero universe usually. And yet here it's, I don't know, there's such a very smart risk taking here um, that allows you to, to tell a story like that and to reflect on things that are actually happening. It, it just works really well. I agree. I think that what they did, Zach and Lonnie and, and, you know, everyone else working on the individual books is they set up a world in which even though the stakes aren't apocalyptic, they feel very real. Mm-hmm. So like when people are black, black bagged by like department X, that feels really real in an uncomfortable way. Oh, when yeah. you see Bishop at that third page, that's the splash page that to me, like, I still think about that sometimes. <laughs> like I'm just sitting and I go, man, that page. You know, that that page feels very real. And like, yes, it's an X-Men book. So, you know, there's going to be punching and like probably, you know, some explosions and stuff. But like that quiet moment, I think, affects us in a in a way that like maybe a fist fight in the quote unquote real world, wherever it is, wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're used to seeing prisons in X-Men comics look like 90s Jim Lee, you know, cylinder shackles. And immediately the other members of the team are going to bust through a wall and they're going to rescue that character and drag him back to the, uh, <laughs> to Xavier's mansion. And that that tribulation is over, you well, know. And-, and we even got that in the last year. There was a prison story in X-Men Gold. And I particularly enjoyed that story, mm-hmm. but it was a very comic book take on the whole situation it was not a reflection of the real world right right yeah i wanted it to feel lonely if that makes sense yeah it Mm. does i can tell you right now (laughs) it feels like bishop's a sad person yeah there was like uh i don't remember what page it was when he's in the mess hall and danny's like just keep your head down and Mm -hmm. he just sits there and like has like an orange or something he's okay yep keep my head down I guess this is where I live now. And the like in the mess hall where they have those individuals where you have to eat by yourself. Oh yeah. Like, that that's was... what I want people to feel like this whole book. <laughs> the little test dividers. <laughs> like yeah. don't cheat on your, on your neighbor. Well, don't ta- <laughs> build relationships with people. That's what you're in prison for. Stop talking, be self-sufficient. It right. Was and, like, yeah. and I wanted to like kind of show how hyper, like how ridiculous that is. <laughs> Like how like you try to divide people even at mealtimes, but then like the next scene is them in the yard, right? And it's just right. this big open space. And it's like, what what does X-Man want from them? To be completely isolated emotionally, but to kind of go through the motions of working together. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show that here as well, in which like Ford truly believes that this is a place that's working towards rehabilitation, right? (laughs) He's like, we're going to fix you. And so like they have those individual play settings, but you may go and and do group exercises as well. Like, so that you know (laughs) how to like function on the outside. And I was like, how, this is in no way rehabilitative at all. And again, that reflects back on kind of the way that we treat people who are in prison in real life, where it's like, how about you ask them what they need (laughs) instead? Like, Well, 
since we mentioned Forge, I think it would be a good opportunity to just run through a couple of like the big surprise characters. Um, we already talked about Beast being a character that we wouldn't necessarily assume. Um, I think Forge is very out of, you know, like not necessarily out of character, but in yeah, a no, surprising... Forge is a cop. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks yeah, but... 100%. <laughs> but having Forge as the, you know, as the warden is, it's also, it's like, it's such smart casting. Um, it surprised me, but then as I thought about it, I was like, oh yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um, it made the I, most sense to me. I just yeah. like, I look at him and I'm like, you, your character traditionally is one that is put in positions where you're really, you have this bigger ideal that you're working towards, but you, you're hurting people on the way. Yeah, he you know was I mean? he was he was the guy who literally got Tony Stark's contracts when Tony Stark said, "Well, I'm going to go be Iron Man now and not build weapons." Yeah. And it's like I can totally see him being like, "For the greater good, I'm doing all these things." And then people being like, "Yeah, but like that guy died and like this happened." <laughs> like and he's like, "Yes, but this greater ideal, right? Like, you know, I'm a, you know, him as a cop, him as a soldier, him him building these what, you know, building weapons. You're just like whatever you tell yourself at night, man. Like, <laughs> and so to have him be this warden of this place where he's like, I, we are here to help you and rehabilitate you. Good luck. And Bishop's first day, he gets into a fist fight with like beast. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know if it's working, buddy. Like, <laughs> um, I think another character, we mentioned this earlier that I think some readers are going to be very surprised to see in this book is Danny Moonstar. Um, if only because Rosenberg was using Danny in the Dead Souls mini, and yeah. then is currently appearing as a uh, <laughs> warlock technarch infested version of herself in UXM. So, um, can you walk us through that decision process? And I, I don't need spoilers; like that's not what I'm digging for. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, like if if there was contentiousness over that decision to have her in both books. I. I don't know behind the scenes, behind the scenes, there's like three curtains, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, at first that she was on the list and then I, I was like, cool. Uh, and then they took, they took her off and I was like, okay, like no problem. Um, but then they were like, if you do want her, we see, you know, we really like to fit her in with the rest. So if you want to have her in your book and then maybe she'll appear somewhere else, you know, that'd be great. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm not going to ask questions. So I don't have to tell lies. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think kind of as the series goes along, you'll kind of understand how it works. But in terms of her kind of role in this book, besides what was discussed earlier, um, she sees things, right? Like that's her whole thing. <laughs> She's someone that sees, sees portents and omens, but also just in general kind of is the person that knows things, even if she doesn't know why she knows them. Mm, yeah. um, and I thought, you know, Bishop is, and, and I love Bishop, so I, sorry, people that don't like him, I go on about him forever, but Bishop to me, having him in this role uh, where he's trying to solve this mystery, the larger mystery of the place, but also the one that's introduced at the end of the issue was really, really fun for me because his whole thing to me is that you can't really mess with his brain. You just can't do it. Eventually it orients itself and he knows what's going on. Right. Sometimes it takes a while and he kind of has to use context clues. But like his whole thing is that he's memorized all the timelines. Right. Like he just knows. Mm -hmm. um, but something is, you know, th this universe is doing a real number on his brain. And so to have kind of Danny and Bishop kind of meeting in the middle 
was a really cool thing for me because they both know things, even if they're not quite sure why they know them at any given point. Huh. He's Lucas Bishop. He knows things. He knows <laughs> things. He knows. He's a now, good Hufflepuff. <laughs> the one other person, the one other person who's here, and this I dropped the book when I turned this page, <laughs> was Shard Bishop, Lucas yes. Bishop's sister. Yeah. <laughs> His sister who last we saw was a dead hologram. Listen, I love Shard. <laughs> I think I might actually like Shard better than like Lucas Bishop. That's a hundred percent fair. Uh, like I, that, I too probably do. Um, I extra not great, but she's great, and that's a very important distinction. And I yes. want more for her. Yeah, I, I do love her. She was one of the things that I, I brought. I was like, "Can I? Can I? I need this thing to happen in this role to be filled. Can it be a shard?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> <laughs> I think they said no to two things. Um, okay. One of them was Sabretooth, which I was like, okay. Oh. <laughs> um, I, was like, I like Sabretooth. Um, just because, like, he, I wanted him to be the opposite of the big scary guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted him to, like, I don't know how I was going to pull it off. They were like, sorry. Yeah, he's like, okay. Um, and Jason the other Aaron one, already called dibs. <laughs> hey, that's fair. A hundred percent fair. Um, and the other one was, uh, I think it was the cuckoos. I think I actually did ask for them. Oh, okay. And they were, like, they were like, nah, Najee. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, because I Shannon's got them in uh in Nightcrawler, right? The amazing yes. Nightcrawler. The amazing Nightcrawler, yes, yes. Um but uh we I'm assuming you're a big shard fan. Um, you know, from back in the nineties, she was always sort of like this vision in the danger room. So it, it was really <laughs> really surprising to see her come back here. I had to do the callback. I do. I do as many little callbacks as I can. I don't. Yeah. I don't really believe in like kind of shoehorning a like reference in. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, if I have a if I have a role that needs filling, and I can thing a little extra for people that have been, you know, with the franchise, then I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in there, and in a way that's not distracting to people who aren't necessarily familiar. Oh yeah, I appreciate stuff like that. It uh, it makes my day when Shard shows up, or we see Pestilence Polaris just in a vision. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was awesome. Pestilence and and uh, like Hell Valkyrie Danny from the Defenders. Yeah. I was like, yeah, give me that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the callbacks are fantastic. Um, so I think you can tell we're pretty big fans of this. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> it's stressful right because like especially with first issues you're like i promise there's more <laughs> like, it's not mm -hmm. just like we're gonna get more you know complex than this i promise and so i was a little worried that people would just be like why did you put the black dude in prison i don't want to read this i'm like i don't well i didn't but like also i'm trying to do it from a perspective that like is empathetic mm -hmm. right oh, that's that's good now we've been talking a lot about characters. So Vita, we have a uh, we have a little game for you if you are up to the challenge involving your characters. All right. Now Let's you just got finished writing a miniseries, Magic the Gathering Chandra. Yes. Uh, which stars the fire-headed girl from Magic the Gathering, a game that I am trying to sell my entire collection of. If you would like to buy it, anyone, please hit me up on the Twitter. <laughs> it's all boxed up. <laughs> I can't get back in. I cannot get back in. Oh, uh, 
just play arena it's online it's free to play uh, it's really pretty good. it's really pretty <laughs> i don't play magic the gathering on because it's not pretty i'm that shallow i love the game i'm a huge like magic the gathering fan i i have way too many cards as well but like well, arena then, mm. then this this game is going to work out for you what we're going to do is we are going to name some of your characters, and I want to know off the top of your head what kind of Magic the Gathering deck they would play. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Let's start with Polaris. Polaris? Oh, my God. Um, based on power level and, like, just Berserker style, I'd say red-green, but that is me projecting a little bit. I, so... I have heard that that is your favorite deck. That is my favorite. Um, I love everything but blue-white. Uh, but maybe, actually, she would be red-blue, right? She has all of these, like, really that cool, seems, dazzling powers. That seems right. That seems right. Yeah, she seems like someone it. who's going to go big or go home. Yeah. Like, it's either, she's either going to combo out and make this ridiculous thing happen, or it's just going to not work. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that that's her. Now, what about Beast? He, he's definitely, I think he's Esper. I think he's white, blue, black. Yes. Um, yes and then Dark Beast is just blue, black. <laughs> I love that you are just spot on on these answers. And people, if you don't play Magic, I'm sorry. But I do know that there's a subset of our audience that is going wild right now. Well, there's a simple way to do it, right? So I used to work at a, a comic uh, and gaming store. Mm -hmm. in new york and i worked in the gaming manga section for a long time and people would come and be like i want to play magic but i don't know what it is and i'm like easy easy peasy here's the color wheel right right what white tiny creatures you gain life sometimes they fly blue you interact directly with the other person not necessarily and their cards not necessarily by making creatures right so you just annoy them to death yes that's, <laughs> that's absolutely correct Black is just gross. You just you make zombies and then you drain their life and give it to yourself. It's very gross. Uh, red, you just set them on fire. It's just very aggressive, right to the face. You know, you just it's very simple. It's the simplest color to play. And then green is big creatures. And so if you like an aggressive kind of game, you go with the like green red stuff. If you like a very cerebral game, you go with the white blue, right? So it's just, you know. It's, it's like you look at the color and what does it inspire? That's the one. It works out real well. Now, the next character, Bishop. He's an interesting one in my head, but I'm curious what you'd have to say. Um, I think he might be... I think he might be Captain America colors. I think he might be red, white, blue. But it also a good... Like, there's a good argument for green uh white blue because hmm. he does know a lot of stuff but at the end of the day he's he's gonna figure it out and then use it to punch you in the face see i was <laughs> i guess i guess i'm more informed by like the messiah era stuff which is when i started you know reading and that's the first bishop that i really got into which i'd say is very much like a red red white very aggressive yeah. but very i'm doing this for a dang reason and i'm gonna blow up the world but trust me i'm doing it as lawfully as i can i i think red white definitely makes a lot of sense for that especially i think the mm -hmm. blue for me is him having all that knowledge you know what i mean oh um, yeah absolutely and using it to like manipulate like events but like yeah i mean red white i 100 percent back that as well because he's yeah now the last the last character we'd have is honey badger 
I love her so much. She's amazing. She's perfect. Uh, um, shoot. Actually, she's Gruel. I think that she's Red Green. Yes. Yep. She's just That's straight actually red. right. Just <laughs> smash and burn and, and eat it. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Adam, I gotta ask, do you did were you ever a magic person at all? Never. And uh I gotta understand I, I gotta admit I didn't really understand anything that you guys just said, but <laughs> it just made me so delightful that you guys are having such a nice connection. <laughs> I I tell you what, I haven't I haven't played in years. I got out uh at after Dragon's Maze pretty much after mm. playing for a few years. I, I graduated college and then didn't have the people I was playing with anymore, and then you just stopped buying things. Uh, it's an expensive habit for sure oh my gosh it's the worst <laughs> it was the worst oh i'll just i'll just pick this up while i'm here oh, I need this. and then you're thousands of dollars in cardboard later it's like the perfect intersection between people that compulsively gamble and people that compulsively <laughs> collect it's yep. just right in the middle so beware <laughs> Now, the one thing that our listeners compulsively do is ask questions. And we put out a call for uh, some questions for Vita out on Twitter.com. And we wanted to ask you a couple of those. Awesome. So are you ready? I am ready. Our first one comes from a friend of the show, Nerravel, who says he's going to be very on brand here, which is true. And he <laughs> says, part of the torments of prison is the aspect of the lack of proper mental health. Uh, is this something that, uh, you know, some of this is something that some of the books cast has had issues with in the past. You know, I'm thinking specifically of Polaris. Uh, mm -hmm. So how did you approach, you know, the lack of mental health treatment in this book? Or was that a topic that just wasn't in the scope of the story you were telling? Oh, man, I can't really get into it without spoiling stuff that's to come. Um, it is something uh -huh. that I had at the back of my mind. Um, but even just in this issue, um, I think that what we wanted to do with the space and the way that it was kind of laid out and the way that the characters related to it was kind of show that like this this affects who they how they express who they are right um mm -hmm. being locked in this place and seeing these things deteriorates kind of they're better angels and makes them a much more raw person um mm -hmm. but as we go along i really especially Polaris, um, but I think everyone to a certain extent, I, I this with Beast and Danny as well, um, as Bishop, um, I wanted to show that like, this is specifically a place that's meant to keep them off balance and meant to, I mean, to make them react in these erratic ways, if that makes sense. That's a real good answer. Sam Rutzik on Twitter, S. Rudzik asks, what X character would Livewire get along with best? And who Ooh. would Livewire be most or contentious with? Oh my god. Um, that is a good question. I think... Livewire, for those who don't know, is the character of your uh, Valiant Comics ongoing Livewire. Yes, she's a technomancer, um, which means she can control technology with her mind. She's like Siri, but less evil. Um, what? I think she would really, <laughs> I, I think she would really get along with Beast actually. Um, mm. because she's also hyper intelligent, but people have very specific, she's a six foot tall, very muscular black woman. So people have very specific expectations of who she is and what she can do. Um, just like you look at Beast and you have these expectations. So I think that they would really bond on that level. 
Um, and I think she would probably fist fight Magneto or Emma Frost, <laughs> both of whom are near and dear to my heart, clearly. But um, Magneto being someone that is very similar to Harada, who ultimately she was her mentor and then parted they parted ways because she realized that what he was doing was harmful um and then emma frost because she, livewire doesn't like being manipulated and she doesn't like seeing other people manipulated and emma mm -hmm. thing is that she has survived because she can do that right <laughs> so she, she livewire would be like listen i get it but like go into my mind and we gonna have a problem <laughs> like <laughs> so yeah that's a good question that's good uh one wheelchair x asks if you were given the power to resurrect any dead x-men character who would it be oh my god i don't know who's dead uh <laughs> i mean look that's that's a very relevant question <laughs> i don't i don't know because i honestly don't know dead and when they're dead and time is a flat circle um i guess if shard is still dead <laughs> shard's still dead shard's dead um yeah, Shard. Well, no, Shard was always Shard. dead and then became yeah. double dead, I think. <laughs> yeah, triple dog dead. Um, yeah, I guess. Who else is dead? I don't know. Jean's back, uh, right? Jean's yeah, Jean's back. Jean's back. back. Yeah, she, uh, she got in a relationship yeah. with someone and he got thrown in prison. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I guess Shard. I can't. I also, like, I don't know what is going on when in the other series that's fair <laughs> so i'm like ah can i say this person so i'm just gonna say shard because that's the safest answer um if i could resurrect a time period like i would definitely revisit chunks of like the 80s and 90s if i could just do that mm. but that is good uh i think i think we'll go with our last question here because we're running a bit out of time uh Sorry, that come no believe me Vita, it's fine. I think we. I think everyone would like to hear you talk at length about all this stuff, uh, which they have. <laughs> uh, uh, but but this question comes from Forge, which is a picture of Forge in a jacket without a shirt on and some hot pants. Okay. Uh, who says? And I quote: "Why am I not in jail? Because I am frequently turned." <laughs> <laughs> Because we needed someone that lit to be in charge of the jail. <laughs> he can't be held down by the jail. He is the jail. Forge is the jail. I, I appreciate that spoiler from this book that I assume is canon. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited to see what people think when they start kind of seeing more from Forge's perspective as well. Because mm. um, he's, he's someone that is very important to this series. What a great teaser. I like that. That's great. <laughs> well, I think that uh, that pretty well does it for today. Hey, Vita, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Now, if people uh, have been interested in uh, what you're telling, obviously they can pick up Prisoner X. Number one's out. Number two is coming out soon. Uh, dates are <laughs> dates are in the future. They're fine. Figure it out. Follow follow people on Twitter. They'll be yelling about it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what else do you got going on and where can people find you? Uh, I am always on Twitter and Instagram. Both of them are the same handle, at definitely Vita. 
Get it with definitely, a T. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I do use blockchain on Twitter. That's just for my own safety and mental health. Um, but my Instagram is open. So if you are caught up in the blockchain, feel free to head over to Instagram and, you know, I'm there all the time. Um, and I have uh, Shuri number six will be out when this goes out. Um, so check that out. I bring Shuri to, to Brooklyn, which is a lot of fun. Oh, dope. Yeah. <laughs> she gets to meet my son, Miles. Um, oh, that's so cool. Boy. Good boy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm writing two issues of Shuri. Uh, I have a creator on series called Submerged, which just came out in trade. Um, so yeah, that's, that's some stuff. Livewire from Valiant, as we've said before, is an ongoing series. Um, and the trade, the first trade should be out next month. So yeah, awesome. check me out. That is great. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, people, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. That's where you can give us money and we'll do episodes about things you want. That didn't happen this time because we were talking about Age of X-Man, which has become a part-time job for me. And I'm not mad about it. It's just a truth that I'm living at the moment. Uh, but you can, uh, you can do that at the $2 month level. Get some other stuff, including live uh, video chat things that I'm doing monthly where I'm answering your questions about just banial stuff, and it's better than it sounds. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files or uh, what's the website? XavierFiles.com. I kept that pretty simple, I think. <laughs> Uh, I'm also going to be at C2E2 uh, next week as this airs. Wow, like in a few days. Uh, I'm not I'm not tabling. I'm just going to be walking around. But hit me up on Twitter if you're going to be there. And like, we'll say hi. I'm going to have little business cards. And I am at least going to have one, one page or four page zine comic about Adam X, the extreme printing. Yes. And potentially <laughs> a second one whose title I'm going to exclusively reveal here. It is Wolverine in Adamantium Chef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I've seen the preview art. It's it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Oh. I mean, no, the art's going to be bad. The art's <laughs> going to be atrocious because I'm drawing with my finger on a tablet and I don't have artistic skills to begin with. So I am just light boxing over pictures of uh, Morimoto uh, from Iron <laughs> Chef and hoping for the best. He's the he's my favorite Iron Chef, uh, except for the American version where Jeffrey Zakarian did become an Iron Chef, and he's probably my favorite Food Network star. But that's not the point here. This isn't a cooking <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Adam, where can people find you online? All right, guys. I believe that the day this comes out, the last page of Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion is going to be on adamrec.tumblr.com. Uh, if you want a print zine copy of it, go to adamrec.bigcartel.com. Um, for three bucks, I'll send one to your house. And um, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. And I think that's 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 all I got for today. That's, um, that's good. Yeah, Vita, thank you again. This has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. I, like I said, uh, off off recording, I'm a very big fan of the podcast. Oh, that's Thank you. Appreciate that, that. Now, next week, if you are a fan of the podcast, dear listeners, uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek. And I don't know nothing about Star Trek. Ooh. I've watched those J.J. Abrams movies. <laughs> Luckily, so, I know at least a little bit about Star Trek. So we'll have a little bit of knowledge going into that. We are not going to be talking about the novel that's a sequel to one of these uh, that's going to be wild, but it's going to be a real fun time. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!